I want you to imagine perhaps that you had been through something, uh, something harrowing. Uh, perhaps you had, uh, perhaps you'd been driving down down the highway. You you turned a corner at, at full speed, and you discovered that that the road was was blocked by uh, by a semi trailer that had tipped over, and you didn't have time to stop. So you 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 uh, careened in, into that mess. Your car caught on on fire. And uh, as though it were on, on TV, there was only a few minutes for you to be removed from that before your car blew up. Someone else came along, a hero came along, uh, 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 braved the fire, braved the danger, went against everything, and, and, uh, and got you out of your car and dragged you to safety uh, just as, as, as you, were, you were safely far enough away, your car exploded. That's a, that's a TV scenario. Uh, I don't expect that any of us will go through that in, in real life, at least I'd certainly hope not. Um, I, I pray for more boring lives for all of us than that. Uh, but I imagine that if, if such a situation happened in our life, or, or I think that we all like to imagine that if such a situation happened in our life, that the way you lived before knocking on death's door, the way you lived before staring, uh, 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 to say it euphemistically, into the face of the grim reaper, the way you lived before that uh, would be different than the way that you lived after that. Because I think our impression and all of our impression is, is that when you, when you have something so significant happen, something that uh, something so amazing happen, or when you feel as though you had cheated death, so to speak, it would change everything. It would be different in the way that, that you live. And yet I have a suspicion, even though we all say that, I have a suspicion that most of us, like, my guess is if I were to get into such a horrific accident, that for the first week or so after that accident, I'd be a lot more careful driving on highways and turning corners and about, about the speed. But my suspicion, and my suspicion is, is borne out by, by knowing humans, is that after a few weeks, after driving safely for a while, your memory of having cheated death, your memory of, of having been rescued, your, your, uh, uh, all of that w- would start to fade, uh, and it would fade in direct proportion to how quickly you needed to be someplace, how quickly you wanted to be someplace, how late you la- left, all different kinds of things. I know that when we drive down, uh, down highways, uh, especially if you're, you're driving, I've been driving across the state a bunch lately. So driving from Grand Rapids to Detroit or Grand Rapids to, to Ann Arbor, I, I discover that oftentimes I look down and go, whoa, I need to slow down because you don't even realize how quickly you're going. My suspicion in, in this case is that even a person who has experienced much, even a person who, 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 is, who is, has, has been through something, even a person who's been to the precipice of, uh, of death, that after a certain amount of time, they would forget all that they had, they had been through, they would forget what they'd experienced, and they would return to the, um, to, the, to the life that they used to live. And not everyone, but my suspicion is, is that a lot of people would. To, to quote the, uh, the poet and musician, uh, uh, Charlie Peacock, he said, it always surprised him how someone could come to the edge of the earth, drop a stone down the side, and then turn and return to the very same life. And what he was saying is it's amazing that a person could come to the edge of a cliff, 
almost fall over the cliff, be saved from falling over the cliff, and having received that, that salvation in that moment, that it, that it didn't change them. And so holding that, that thought process in your mind, uh, I want to go to Exodus chapter 19 this morning and talk about our, our friends, the children of, of Israel. We're going to begin in, in verse 3 of chapter 19. It says this, Moses went up to the mountain of God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain. This is what you must say to the house of Jacob and explain to the Israelites. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all peoples, although the whole earth is mine, and you will be, you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words that you are set to say to the Israelites. So, to, to recap, as we continue to do each week, the, the children of, of Israel, their experience, what they've been through, what, what they, they've seen, they were in slavery, they, they were oppressed. We started, it started from chapter 1, where, where the Pharaoh tried to dehumanize them, where, where the, the Pharaoh tried to, to oppress them, where the Pharaoh uh, made laws against them. We know that in, in later chapters, the Pharaoh declared that all the, um, all the firstborn sons must be, be killed. Literal genocide in, in, in years and years and years and years and years of oppressive, horrific slavery. God, seeing the cries of his children, the, the Israelites, has compassion on them. He has love towards them. He is graceful. He is merciful. He does all of, he is all of that. He sees his, his children and, and their suffering, and, and he brings upon Pharaoh the plagues. You remember we spoke of that. He brings upon him the, the plagues to demonstrate that it is God who is powerful. It, it, it is God who is Yahweh. It is Yahweh who should be listened to. It is Yahweh who should be obeyed. It is Yahweh who has the power and not Pharaoh, but God brings to bear all of his power and uses it to the point that, that the children of Israel are finally set free from oppression in Egypt. And even then, after they are set free, Pharaoh and his army have, armies have regret and they try and chase down the children of Israel. God, even in that, he makes it so that the children of Israel can cross the Red Sea on dry land. They cross the sea on dry land. Pharaoh and his pursuing armies attempt to cross the Red Sea. The sea fills back in, and God destroys the armies of Pharaoh. Last week we talked about then having been set free from that. They're 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 in uh, 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 they're they're traveling. They're they're in the desert. They're on their way towards uh, the the promised land. They're on, on their way towards where where God will, will settle them. Uh, but having been set free, they, they are not yet there into that, that land, and they begin to complain against Moses and say, oh, that we could just go back to slavery. Oh, it would be better off if we were slaves. It would be better off if this... And, and so then God, uh, God hears them grumbling against him, and instead of striking them, God uh, again moves his hand. He provides for them manna from, from the sky. He gives them manna and quail, so he gives them bread and meat to eat. Later on, he provides for them water to drink, but he provides for them all of this in, in, in 
uh, in the desert, which all of, all of that provides the background for what God is saying here in chapter 19. When God says this, this is what you must say to the Israelites. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. God says, you have seen what I did. You remember that you were oppressed. You remember that you were in slavery. You remember that, that the, the work was, was backbreaking. You remember that, that there was literal genocide. You remember all of this. You remember the situation that you were in in Egypt. You have seen how I've carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, because you have seen that, because Israelites, because you have been in slavery because you have been at the edge of death because the Israelites had literally been to the edge of the earth, looked over the side, looked at what life apart from Yahweh was like, and Yahweh had rescued them. Because of that, because you have seen that, God says, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all people, although the whole earth is mine. And you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words that you are to say to the Israelites. So Moses goes to God. God says, tell the Israelites this. Tell them, because I have rescued them, because I have set them free from oppression, because I have led them out of the land of their, their slavery, because I brought them across the sea on, on dry land, because when their enemies pursued them and tried to kill them, I wiped out their enemies, and because I did all of it so that they might come and worship me as Yahweh, their God, and I might be the God of them and my people, tell them that if they will listen carefully to me and keep my covenant, they will be my possession out of all peoples. They will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to say to the Israelites. And so Moses goes down the mountain, goes from talking to, to God on the mountain, goes down and tells the people what has been said. He says, if we listen carefully to Yahweh and we keep his covenant, we're going to be his possession out of all peoples. We're going to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, I want to talk about that, that term, kingdom of priests, and we're going to come back to it in a minute. But kingdom of priests is, is very central here, and it has to do with the covenant that God has made and the covenant that God makes with, with, uh, with, with Israel. But when, when he tells them that they are going to be a kingdom of priests, the job uh, of a priest is to carry out the, the duties of, of the covenant that has been set before. The job of the priest is to make... Um, is to make uh, intercession or, or, or to go between the people and God in, 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 the, um, in the individual sense, the role of the, of the priesthood uh, that, that will be seen later. The role of, of the priest was to make sacrifices, to bring the sacrifices into the Holy of Holies, to make the sacrifice there and then go back out to the people so that the people could be brought near to God. And so the role of the, of the priest is to bring the people who, who, are, who are not near to God nearer to, to God. So when, when, when God says to the children of Israel, you will be a kingdom of priest, the idea here is that they as a nation will be a group of, uh, of people, a nation that brings other nations and other people closer to the living God. 
right? We, we know this, and we know, and we'll talk about it uh, more throughout this message, but you remember that the covenant made with Abraham, in it God says to him, your offspring will be as many as the stars, and through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. When he says to Israel, Israel, you are to be a kingdom of priests, he's essentially telling them that they are, they are to be the ones who carry out the, the, the provisions or carry out what has been said in the Abrahamic covenant, that all the nations of the earth will, 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 uh, will be brought to God, will be blessed through, through the line of Abraham, which the, the children of Israel are. So we'll come back to that idea in a minute, but that's, that's just the idea. So what's being said here is this. God's saying, you've seen what I've done for you. You've seen how I've loved you. You've seen my grace to you. You've seen my care for you. You've seen my overwhelming power. When Pharaoh thought he was powerful, I demonstrated my power. When Pharaoh thought he could stand against me, he could not. I, Yahweh, am your God, and I have set you free. I, Yahweh, have brought you out of slavery, and I have wiped out your enemies so that I could bring you to myself. So that if you, having been set free from slavery having been set free from oppression, having been set free from all that, if you appreciate love and care for and listen to the one who has set you free and keep my covenant, you will be my possession out of all the people, all the all peoples of the earth, though the whole earth is mine. And you will be my kingdom of priest and a holy nation. These are the words you are to say to the Israelites. So what you would expect then Right? is that the Israelites, having, having experienced all that we keep talking about, and the reason I, I continue to use so much repetition with you is to remind you what has happened, all that has happened in the life of the children of Israel, what they've experienced, what they've gone through, because we, cannot in, in, um, uh, we, we can only hear it and we can only try and, and, try and understand it, but we have not, in, in the physical sense, experienced what the children of Israel ha- had experienced. And so I keep repeating it so you hear, understand that they were a, an oppressed people, that they were a people who, who were marked out for death. They were a people who were not even treated as human, not even cared for as human, not even, n- none of that. They were, they were dehumanized, treated as though they were livestock and property in a land that was not their own for the good of a king who, who wanted only for himself. And God, Yahweh in his goodness, has set them free. You would think, having gone from oppression to freedom, the logical thing is that we read this passage, and I think all of us say, well, then they did it, right? Right. So when God says, says, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession, though I, though I own the whole earth. You will be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. We would think, expecting all that the Israelites had been through, the logical, well, they did it, right? They, they kept the covenant, right? They understood what they'd been through, right? Like if we had been in a car accident and walked away unscratched when we should have been dead, it would change us, right? If we had been through something, something so radically life-changing, that the word life changer would not just be words, it would change our life. That's what happened to the children of Israel. So they obeyed God, right? So they listened carefully, right? So they, were, they, they kept the covenant, right? And the answer, shockingly, is no. 
No, they don't keep the covenant. In fact, they continually and routinely break the covenant. They're, they're covenant breakers, not covenant keepers. When God says, if you will listen to me carefully, they don't. If you will keep my covenant, they don't. We're going to come up uh, in, in a week or so on what's called the Decalogue or, or the Ten Commandments or, or these things. And the, one of the first ones is going to be, be where God says, I'm Yahweh. You will have no other gods before me. It's one of the first, the first things said. It is also the first and regular thing that the Israelites are going to break again and again and again. In fact, and I'm not trying to rush ahead, but in fact, while God is giving them, giving them just the restatement of what should have been logical to them, that Yahweh was the only God, while he was giving them these, these standards, these rules in the law, they were, they were down the side of the mountain making their own God out of gold. So you would think that when they hear, do this, do this, just keep my covenant and listen to me. They go, oh, I'm so thankful for all of what God has done for me. It's changed my life. I've been set free, and because I've been set free, of course I'll worship Yahweh and Yahweh alone. Of course I'll listen to Yahweh. Of course I'll keep the covenant. But they didn't. They break the covenant again and again and again. They become covenant breakers. It's why... As we go forward in Scripture, we go, so what now? Because the covenant and the covenants that God makes and the things that God says, his promises, I've told you from the beginning that the theme of Exodus will be this, is that God does what God wants. And what God wants is always consistent with his character. That he always does that which is consistent with his character, and his character is always good. I've told you that. But here, God gives them a covenant, and they're going to break it. We don't have time to talk about it, but you need to understand this. That those people who have been set free from oppression in Egypt and brought into freedom, use their freedom to make their own gods constantly. Sometimes literally out of gold, but sometimes just in their heart. Um, Tim Keller via John Calvin uh, used this quote, and I think it's accurate, that the human heart is an idol factory. In other words, that the human heart is prone to create its own gods over and over and over and over. So God gives this covenant to the children of Israel. He gives this, says, just listen. If you do this, you will be my chosen people, a royal priest, a kingdom of priests. Just do this. Just listen. And they don't. Again and again and again and again, they say, we appreciate what you're saying there, Yahweh. And we like the fact that you brought us out of slavery. But we're going to worship a different God for now. We're going to worship this God. We're going to worship that God. And they spend their whole time rushing after other gods. They spend their whole time looking for any other God to worship. So they don't keep the covenant. So then we go, well, what then? In the grand scheme of Scripture, and we need to talk about a, about a, about a historical, what, what happens in history. What happens then when, they're, when they don't keep the covenant? We read in, in, in Hosea. Hosea, by the way, is, is a prophet. He's a prophet that's spent, sent to, to prophesy to, to predominantly the northern kingdoms of, of Israel. He's sent to prophesy because they didn't keep the covenant. He sent to prophesy to them because they don't ever keep the covenant. He sent to prophesy to them because they worship all kinds of other gods. They find, we find the kingdom when Hosea the prophet comes years and years and years and years and years after Exodus. When Hosea the prophet comes to speak to, to, to the Israelites and tell the, the, the Israelites uh, the word of the Lord. It is with judgment and other things. It's calling them back. Come back to the covenant. 
Come back. Listen. Stubborn people, come back. Come back. I'm the God who set you free. Come. So they sends Hosea to announce judgment and to, to call them back. But we find the kingdoms in, in, in disarray. We, we find the Israelites worshiping, and, and, and I use this, this term um, gently, but it's an accurate term, and it's used in Scripture. What we find is that we find the Israelite children whoring after other gods. That's what they've done, and it's what they're doing. You need to understand the depth of their depravity. They want anything but to follow after Yahweh. And we find that in, in Hosea. So then in Hosea chapter 11, we read this verse. Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. So you remember that he's called the physical, the national people, out of, out of Egypt. You remember that, he, that he's called them, and he's called them son. It, it, we, it uses this language. It's going to build, even throughout Exodus, on this language of, of God as their father, as Israel as their son. And yet at the same time, being asked to keep the covenant, being asked simply to listen to Yahweh, being asked simply to, 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 to worship only Yahweh and to keep the covenant, the children of Israel do not do it. They break the covenant repeatedly. So what then? What of God's plan? What can we say? And what of his covenant, right? His covenants are good. And we know that from the covenant, the first covenant giving, given to Abraham, that his covenant is necessary because through you, Abraham, through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed and your descendants will be as many as the stars, right? That, that, that prophecy, what has been spoken there, that covenant is, is important. And here is God working in history to carry out his covenants, but the one it looks like whom he might carry out his covenants, his son, Israel, never keeps the covenant. They're covenant breakers. So what then? What of this covenant? What of this plan? What of this kingdom of priests? Right? We need the kingdom of priests. The role of the priest is to bring the people into the holy of holies. The role of the priest is to bring the sacrifice. The role of the priest is to make it so that those who are far from God could be brought near. If, if Israel is advocating the role of, the, of being a kingdom of priests, what then? Who then? Who will bring the people to God? Who will fulfill that role? Israel abdicates it again and again and again. Hosea says, the word of God says, but out of Egypt I've called my son. Out of Egypt I've called my son. What then? Who then? Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2 verses 13 through 15 says this. Let me just set this up. Jesus has been born in Bethlehem. Jesus is born in, in Bethlehem, in, in, in Judea. He's born of the Virgin Mary, as we say each week in the, in, in the creed. Uh, he is born, as we, we confess from, from John chapter 1, 1. He is the word. In the beginning was the word, right? We believe that Jesus was eternally existent. John 1, 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. We believe that is, is Jesus, the second person uh, of the Trinity. Uh, 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 
God of very God. We believe that he is born of the Virgin Mary. After being born, again, as often happens, when tyrannical kings hear that there is a threat to their power, they respond. The response for the tyrannical king, Herod, is that he is again going to put to death every boy under two years old, right? And so when Pharaoh heard that there was a threat to his kingship, he said, kill all the boys, kill all the babies. When Herod hears that there is a threat to his kingship, he says, kill all the boys under two years old. So Jesus is born, Herod hears, and he's like, that Jesus might be a threat to my power and my kingdom, kill him. Right? But if you're tracking sort of these themes of the Exodus and what's going on in Exodus all throughout Scripture, Jesus then with his mother and his father, becomes a refugee. And he goes on the run. And because they're on the run and because they do not want to, uh, to be killed by Herod, this is what happens. After they, had, they were gone, um, that was the, uh, the kings who had visited him. After they were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in the dream, saying, Get up! Take the child and his mother. Flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. So he got up and took the child and his mother during the night and escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death. So that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled out of Egypt. I have called my son. Here's, here's what happens. God says, take through the angel. Take Jesus, take your wife, go to Egypt and wait there so that this, this king who would kill him cannot do it. So that this king would come, cannot do it. And so they run and they hide in Egypt. But Matthew, a divine writer of scripture inspired by the spirit, I want you to understand what he views this as. He views this as a fulfillment of Hosea 11, chapter 1. Hosea 11, chapter 1 says, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Out of Egypt I have called my son. Matthew says, yes, out of Egypt you have called your son, and it is fulfilled here today in the person of Jesus. That's Matthew chapter 2. Out of Egypt I have called my son. So then, what I'm trying to do is make for you help you to understand a historical transition from this idea that, that God works through means and God makes covenants and God works, it works always consistently with his, with, his, uh, with his character. And so God makes covenants and God keeps covenants. God is merciful and graceful. He makes, unfortunately, the covenants he makes, it makes here are, were covenants with humans. And humans are consistent with their character, too. And the character of the majority of humans, or the character of all humans, apart from the working of God and apart from the working of Yahweh, is, is, is rebellious. The character of all humans, apart from Yahweh, is sinful. The character of all humans, apart from God himself, is to be an enemy against God. And so we see this with Israel. He says, if you will listen to me and keep my covenant, they don't. It falls into disarray. We see this even going back, if we want to go all the way back to Scripture, he puts Adam, at the beginning of Scripture, puts Adam and Eve in the garden and says, hey, eat anything you want. I'll come and walk with you in the cool of day. Only don't eat from the tree in the center of the garden or you will surely die. 
And what do Adam do? They eat it. And my point is simply this, is that, that the problem with the covenants that God makes is not the one, the, the covenant giver. It's the ones who are expected to, to enter into the covenant with God. We never could live up to and did not live up to the terms of the covenant. Listen to me, keep the covenant. In scripture, if you read this book, anytime you're reading about humans attempting to keep the covenant, what you see is grand and abject failure. We never keep it. So what do we need? And what of God's, God's promise uh, uh, that, that they would be a kingdom of priests? Does the, does, is, the, is that covenant canceled? Is its impact on the Abrahamic covenant canceled? You know, through you, your offspring, Abraham, was going to bless all the nations of the earth, and your offspring will be as many as the stars. No. What was needed was someone who could come and who could keep the term of the co- terms of the covenant. We couldn't do it. Israel couldn't do it. We didn't do it. And so what was needed was a son who was called out of Egypt. What was needed was a true Israel, a better Israel, the, the, the Israel of God. And if, you, if we had time, which we, which we do not, we could trace the, this movement and, and trace this movement through Scripture. I'm just trying to give you a little bit of this idea that the true and fullest ex- expression of that which is Israel is found in this boy, this boy who is hiding out in Egypt in chapter 3 of, or chapter 2 of Matthew. That when it says, out of Egypt, I have called my son, that what you see is God gloriously and always working to carry out his plans. Even though we as humans break covenants, God is in the business of accomplishing them. And so where, where the nation of Israel failed, they broke the covenant again and again and again. God was not content to let people fall into to the to the result of their own sinfulness and the and the and the, the the retribution, the death we deserve from being far from God, but rather God, in His goodness, chose to gracefully continue to carry out and chose to continue to fulfill the terms of the covenant He gave to Abraham, that through you all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Who comes then is Jesus? Jesus, as we've talked about before, and you might have heard, if you go to the first chapter of Matthew, you get a genealogy. If you trace that genealogy back what you understand is that Jesus descends from the line of Abraham and that Jesus is the fulfillment of when God says through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed it was a it was it was a it was a prophecy it was a covenant and it was a promise that as Abraham beget his children and those children beget their children who beget their children who beget their children that one day one of them would beget a child and his name would be Jesus of Nazareth and Jesus of Nazareth though he was fully human though he was born of a woman would come into this world, and unlike every other human, when the terms of the covenant were laid out, Jesus would be the true Israel, called out of Egypt, not only for for his salvation, not only for the national salvation of a people, but Jesus 
would be the true son, the true Israel called out of Egypt, and he would keep the terms of the covenant perfectly. There would be no sin in him. There would be no turning from God in him. Everything that the father asked, he would do, and he would obey perfectly so that the very terms of the covenant would be fulfilled. And at the fulfillment of the covenant, that God would look and say, the covenant has been fulfilled in that man, Jesus, and because Jesus, the true, the better, and the greater Israel has fulfilled the terms of the covenant, my covenant is enduring, and I am going to bless you, nations of the earth. I'm going to bless you, whether you're, whether you're African or African-American, whether you're Dutch or Scandinavian, whether you're from Thailand or the Philippines, I am going to pour out my blessing upon you because the covenant keeper has come. The true son of Israel has come. His name is Jesus. He has fulfilled the covenant. He has kept it. And now the Lord God is going to act and he is going to bring salvation to all the peoples of the earth so that you and I might be called sons and daughters of God. He's a covenant keeper. So then, where I want to end, I want to set that up for you to make this transition for you, that God says to, to Israel, you're, you're chosen people, you're kingdom of priests. He gives them those promises. Only keep the covenant, and they don't. But the good news is that God, in his goodness, is about accomplishing his will and his plan. He sends Jesus, and he keeps the covenant. He keeps the covenant perfectly. He, he, he listens, and he does the will of the Father. The will of the Father eventually leads to the cross. The cross leads to his death. His death leads to our salvation. His resurrection three days later led to our victory. And the spirit of the living God who calls us into relationship with him calls us into sonship. So that in 1 Peter in the New Testament, Peter is writing. He writes to an audience um, that is probably mixed between Jewish folk and Gentile folk. Right? So... uh, in, in Exodus, the book of Exodus written to people who are, who are exclusively and ethnically Israelite, right? They're exclusively and ethnically Jewish. First Peter writes to a mixed group uh, uh, of people, and it writes in light of the work of what Jesus Christ has done. And this is what they, they write here to the church. But you... Our chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own position, possession, so that you might proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And what I'm trying to track for you is this, is that, is that the covenant given to Israel, which they, 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 never, they, they never had the ability to keep the covenant, But that covenant given to to Israel was fulfilled. It was kept. It was kept in the true son called out of Egypt. It was kept in in the true Israel, in Jesus Christ. And because he was the covenant keeper, he, the, the, the terms and the blessings of the covenant, one of the things I sometimes say is that Jesus is both the giver and the rightful recipient of all the promises of Scripture. Because he is the one who keeps the covenant on, on our behalf. But also the way in which he does that is, he, is that it says, and the word becomes flesh and dwelt amongst us. It says that, that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might know the righteousness of God, right? And that he He's God, 
in the flesh, and he keeps the covenant. But he's human in his, in his flesh, and so he is a recipient of the promises. And so Jesus is both the, the giver and the recipient of the promises in, in that sense. But here's, here's all I'm trying to say is that Jesus does keep the covenant. And because Jesus rightfully keeps the, the covenant, right? Because Jesus, when what I'm saying here, the covenant's a big word. All I'm trying to say is that, that the promises and, and the standards set by God that said, hey, if you do this, I will do this. God would make those agreements with mankind. And mankind was never able to live up to its end of the deal until Jesus came. And Jesus came and he upheld his end of the deal, both as God and as man. And because he did that, the blessings that were prophesied are poured out rightfully on Jesus. But here's the good news that it's this, is that if you are a follower of Jesus, you are incorporated into Jesus, right? You are, it's why it says, God made him who knew no sin so that he who became sin for us and became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. The idea is in as much as you are in Christ, in as much as you are in Jesus, in as much as you are incorporated into him, become uh, as his, 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 um, his brother or sister in Christ, a child of the father, adopted into his family. As we are in Christ, we become recipients of the promises rightfully poured out or the blessings rightfully poured upon Christ. We become co-heirs, it says in scripture, with Christ. So that the blessings pour out, think about that, that God is going to reward you and he's going to reward me as if we were Jesus based upon the actions of Jesus. God looks at you and loves you because of Jesus. He's going, he cares for you and draws to you, himself to you because of the actions of Jesus and the rewards that he would give to Jesus, the one who has fulfilled the, 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 the standards of the covenant, who has done the right things in the eyes of the Father, who has gone to the cross, who has been resurrected, the one who has walked through all of that. He deserves the glory, the honor, and the praise, but the rewards that the Father is going to pour out on the Son, he's going to pour out on you too. Because you're a co-heir with Christ. That's a level of grace and reward that I don't think that we comprehend or think about enough. It's also a sideline to the sermon, so we'll, we'll, we'll forge ahead. Here's, here's all I'm trying to say. So then, Israel was told, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Keep these. And they didn't keep them. Jesus comes along and he does keep it. What then of us? What's the difference between us and them? Can we do this? And I'm going to suggest to you that yes, we can. That we can do this because we live in light of the coming of a Savior who has already done it on our behalf. So that there's no conditionality in our covenant. The conditions of the covenant have been fulfilled. And so we get to live in light of a fulfilled covenant we get to live in light of the fact that, that Jesus Christ himself has already made peace through God, through his blood on the cross. We get to live in light of the fact that our sins have already been washed away. We get to live in right, light of the fact, as it says in Galatians, that all of the charges against us have been nailed to a cross. That the debt against us have been... We get to live in light of that. So that now we, in as much as we are in Christ get to be a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possessions, 
And here's one. So that you might proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Here's, here's my, my grand point, I think. It's this. is that the role of the priesthood was, was to mediate, to make intercession, to go between God and the, and the people. We have a priest. We have a priest who did, did the actual work of making it possible for people to even to come to God, right? A person, apart from the work of, uh, the, it says in Scripture, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Jesus himself becomes the Passover lamb. We talked about that at Easter time, right? He's the pure and spotless lamb. He's made it possible. In, in his role as, as the high priest, he was both the high priest and the sacrifice. Jesus goes to his, to his death so that we might come to him. Because Jesus has already made through peace with God through the cross. We are at peace. And so we do not have the role of making peace in, in, in the priesthood. A human priesthood never has the role in, in, in the true sense of making peace between God and man. But the role of the priesthood in this case is to proclaim the works of the great high priest. It's to proclaim the, the works of the, of the great uh, Passover lamb. To proclaim the works of a great God. And so I think when it says we're a, we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, what it's saying is, is that I put you in a place, in a time. You live someplace and somewhere. And the people around you will not know my name. They will not know who I am. They will not know what I've done. But you... Church, as my royal priesthood, are going to be the ones who declare the excellencies. You are the ones who are called out, the, the, the ones who, who may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. We get that role now. We get to declare not what is coming. The role of Israel, inasmuch as they did fulfill the covenant ever, the role of, of national Israel was cons to consistently proclaiming that someday a Messiah was going to come. We get to live on the other side of history. We get to live on the other side of the cross. We get to live on the other side of Jesus himself saying, it is finished. They were proclaiming the coming. We get to proclaim he has come. They were proclaiming that it will happen. We get to proclaim it has happened. They were proclaiming that one day it will all make sense. We get to proclaim the one who has made it all make sense. We get to proclaim Jesus, and that's, that's our role. And so you and I have a, have a, have a deep and powerful calling Inasmuch as we are in Christ, the true Israel, the true son called out of Egypt, then we are a chosen race, speaking to the church. We are a royal priesthood, speaking to the church. It is the role of the church in any society to proclaim and declare the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into light. It makes it matter what the church says. It makes it matter what the church does. It makes it matter how the church acts. It should matter in your neighborhood. We have this question all the time. If your church went away, would the neighborhood know? If the answer is no, I don't know what in what sense that the church was functioning as a royal priesthood. Because the role of the church is to declare to those outside. The role of the priest is to declare uh, to those outside that there is a God and he's good. Yahweh has done what he has done. Our role is to bring people to the Father. We don't make peace, Jesus did, but God in his goodness has allowed us to be a part of his plan to share that with others. 
We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that we may declare the praises of the one who has called you out of darkness into marvelous light. The question then becomes this. goes back to what I said to you at the beginning. If you come to the edge of the earth, you kick a stone down the side and you almost fall over, would you turn and return to the same life? Would you go back and go, oh, no big deal? If you cheated death on the highway, would you turn and go back? Would you speed home? What would you do? Would it change how you were? And these are just temporal things. And the question is this. Do you know that in, the, in Jesus Christ and in his salvation, he has rescued you from certain death? He has rescued you from certain hell. He has rescued you from certain destruction. He has rescued you from certain punishment. He has rescued you from from a definite coming of complete and total darkness and separation from him forever. That is just in the eternal. But in the temporal, you have been restored to friendship with God. You have been restored to being sons and daughters of God. You have been made clean and cleansed by the blood of Jesus, your brother in the faith, who is the one who serves as the legal documentation that your adoption into the person, into the, into the friendship, and the sonship of Yahweh, the Abba, good father, is complete, total, and legal, and irrevocable, right? If you have been adopted by God, made sons and daughters of God, and are co-heirs with Christ, my question for you becomes this, why then do we often live as though we were children of the devil, Why do we often live as if hell is our destination, as if sin is our desire? Why do we live in a way that does not acknowledge who we have been made to be? Jesus was the covenant keeper. In keeping the covenant on your behalf, he has made it possible for you to be a royal priesthood, a chosen people, God's own possession, declaring the marvelous goodness of he who has brought us out of darkness into light. So then my question becomes, for those of us who would confess Jesus with our lips and live like the devil with our lives, why have you thought about what in the world you are doing? And I guess my point is this. Either this book is true. Either Jesus truly keeps the covenant on your behalf. Jesus truly goes to the cross on your behalf. Jesus truly takes the wrath of God on your behalf so that you can be sons, daughters, and friends with the living God or this book is false. But it's not one or the other. So what I'm asking you is is this. You need to decide today. And I'm talking to all of us and I'm talking to me. But we need to decide today. Either Jesus is the covenant keeper who declares us and makes us sons and daughters of the living God into a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Or Jesus is a lie and we should live like hell. But it can't be both. Stop posting about Jesus when you won't live for him. Stop posting about God when you've got no interest in him. If your life says Jesus is dead, be honest about it and say it with your lips. But if Jesus is alive and Jesus is the true covenant keeper, if Jesus truly has made us into a people for God's own possession, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, then you need to live like that is true too. But please, 
for your own good and the good of your own souls. Stop living like both are possible. It is not. Stop proclaiming a God you don't know. Or know the God you proclaim. Those are your two choices. Because that is the work of the covenant keeper. He has died. He has risen. He is coming again so that you might receive the rewards of the covenant. Why do you claim to be saved and then deny or refuse the blessings of the covenant? Oh yeah, I know Jesus. What? You know Jesus online? You know Jesus in a conversation? But how do you know Jesus if you won't accept the blessings? Do you know that one of the things he did with his blood was to set you free from the power of the sin that is oppressing you, the sin that is killing you, the sin that is destroying you? And you say, well, I really like my life. I like what I'm doing. Well, then you really don't like Jesus. And I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, and I'm not trying to destroy you, and I'm not trying to be mean. I'm talking to me, too. We need to come to grips with this. If Jesus is the covenant keeper, the true Israel, and if as much as we are in him, we receive the blessings that are due him, why would we want to know him but choose to refuse his blessings? We are called to be a people for his own possession, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Either it's true or it's not, but it's not both. It's not both. Elsewhere in the New Testament scripture, someone says, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Either the God of your ancestors or the false God, but choose. I come to you with a similar message. We are in the person of Jesus Christ, a people for his own possession, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, so that we might declare the excellencies of him who has taken us out of darkness and brought us into light. We must then be in light to declare the light. It is the blessing of salvation. By the way, what I'm saying to you here, and my belief here is this, is that the light is so much better than the darkness. And I'm speaking sternly to you to try and shock your system into understanding that the sin which we so easily embrace, the sin which we so easily cozy up to, the sin which we refuse to let go is not giving us the joy and the happiness that we think it is. It is an evil, marauding robber stealing from us that which God has rightfully called ours in his son, Choose who you'll serve.